Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Right up to Easter and uh, Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate Jesus, our Waymaker. Jesus, our Waymakers. We want to encourage you to make plans to join us as we uh, have our Good Friday service on April 2nd. It'll be a Good Friday service with worship, communion, and reflection uh, of Jesus and the way of the garden at 7 p.m. on April 2nd. And then uh, on Easter Sunday, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., we're going to be both online and in person as we celebrate Jesus, our Waymakers. So what does it mean that Jesus is the way. What does it mean? What is the Jesus way? What is the Jesus way all about? Well, I was looking at at a couple of scriptures. I was reading through the book of Exodus, uh, and in Exodus chapter 33, what I noticed is is that Moses, as he was preparing, he, 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 he took a tent, and he placed a tent outside the camp, and that tent was the place that he would go and meet with God. He called it the tent of meeting. And he would, he would seek the Lord. And as he would seek the Lord, literally the cloud uh, of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord would descend over that tent. And he would seek God with consistency. He would seek God regularly. And it was a priority in his life. And the Spirit of God would begin to speak to Moses there. And that's where Moses would experience the promptings where Moses would experience the the stirrings and the counseling and the convicting and the quickening would happen in the tent. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 13, this is the prayer that Moses prayed. He said, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. What did Moses pray? Lord, show me your what? Show me your ways. Show me your ways. Moses wanted the ways of the Lord. And you know, later on in the Psalms, we see it kind of on repeat over and over again in the Psalms. One example of it, show me your ways, O Lord. Psalm 25, 4, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Show me your ways. And the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 30, 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, Your ears and your voice behind you saying, look at this, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. Over and over again in Scripture, one of the things that we see in God's Word is an emphasis on people asking God to show me your ways. God, show me your ways. The ancients spent most of their time trying to discern the ways of God, but today I think we spend a lot of our time trying to discern the will of God. And it's not that the will of God is not important. And and these things are not the same thing. They're they're not the same thing. It's a both and. We can't neglect praying for the will of God. But friends, they're, they're, they're not the same thing. They're both and. Friends, how many of you know you have to do God's will God's way? You have to do God's will God's way. It has to be on His terms, His turf, His timeline. And over the next month, we're going to be rediscovering some of the ways of Jesus. We're going to be, I want you to make it your prayer over this next month leading up to Easter. When you seek the Lord, will you begin to say, God, show me your ways. Jesus, show me your ways. Holy Spirit, show me your ways. 
I want to back up just a little bit. When we talk about Moses, we remember that when Moses was out in the wilderness, he had an experience, a burning bush experience in the desert, and God reveals to Moses his name. Moses says, well, who do I say should send me? God was saying, showing up and saying, I'm sending you to, to Egypt. You're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And, 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 and so Moses says, well, who do I say has sent me? What, what is this God? Who is this God that has sent me? What is your name? And God says, I am. That's it. I am. Not, I, you know, if I'm going to introduce myself, I say, my name is Aaron. Or I am Aaron. There is no I am Aaron. It just kind of hangs out there. I am. I am who I am. I am that I am. I am. And we kind of have it hanging out there and hanging out. It's kind of unresolved until we, we get to Jesus who comes. And in the book of John, Jesus gives seven I am statements. And he kind of clarifies a little bit more of what that means. He gives us a little more of what it means. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd of the sheep. I am, oh, we love this one at Easter. I am the resurrection and the life, right? I'm the resurrection, the life. But then in John 14, 6, he also says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And oftentimes when we hear that, we tend to focus on Jesus' truth. And that is so important. Truth is so important. In fact, in our world today, where there is so much relative truth, truth is very important. But the fact that, that Jesus' way, I am the way, is in there, is equally important. And if we look at John chapter 14 and verse 6, we see a formula. The Jesus' way plus Jesus' truth equals the Jesus' life. Jesus' way plus Jesus' truth equals the Jesus' life. In fact, Eugene Peterson, uh, who, who, who wrote the message uh, uh, part of the Bible, the paraphrase of the Bible, he puts it this way. The Jesus' way wedded to the Jesus' truth brings about the Jesus' life. And he goes on to write this. He says, but Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way is most frequently evaded metaphor among Christians, he says, with whom I've worked for over 50 years in the North America, as a North American pastor. He says this, in the text that Jesus sets before us so clearly and definitively, way comes first. We cannot skip the way to Jesus in our hurry to get to the truth of Jesus as he is worshiped and proclaimed. The way of Jesus is the way that we practice and come to understand the truth, living in Jesus in our homes, our workplaces, with our friends, and with our family. It's so important for us to understand the importance of the ways of Jesus. The ways of Jesus, because the ways of Jesus are how we live, the practices, the things that we do. You might call them spiritual disciplines. And I think most people in, 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 in most of our churches are, are more in tune with the American way than the Jesus way. And in this series, we're going to dive in and explore the Jesus way so we can learn what it's like to live like Jesus, to live like Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus goes out, and, and uh, this is where we're going to begin today. 
Jesus goes out into an area where John the Baptist has been there, and John is baptizing people. He's calling people to repentance. He's baptizing people, and Jesus has no need to repent. The Bible says that, that he is without sin, but he goes out to affirm that what John the Baptist is doing is right, and it's a step. It's why water baptism is so important, because we see that Jesus affirms that in the ministry of John the Baptist. He himself is our example and is water baptized, and then later on, he and his disciples practice it, and he commissions them to go and do the same, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why baptism is so important. But Jesus goes out, and, and he's asking John to baptize him, and John's a little bit reluctant. Listen, I'm, I'm not even worthy to untie your, your sandals. So who, who am I to baptize you? But Jesus insists because it was the right thing to do in the way of righteousness. It was the right way. And during that time, something amazing took place. Mark chapter 1, 10 and 11 says this, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with, whom, uh, with you I am well pleased. I don't know about you, can you imagine that moment? What a powerful moment. I mean, this is a spiritual high. This is a spiritual experience that Jesus encounters as the Spirit of God is descending and he hears the voice of his Father saying, I am well pleased with you. This is before any miracle. This is before any of Jesus' earthly ministry. The Father is affirming, I am pleased with you. What a powerful, what a powerful moment. And you think from this moment, what we'd see is Jesus going out and beginning a preaching ministry. Jesus going out and beginning a healing ministry. Jesus going out and beginning his ministry as Messiah. Gathering his followers and his disciples and beginning to bring about the kingdom of God as he would usher it in. But that's not what we see. In fact, what happens next, found in Mark 1 and verse 12, says this, at once the Spirit sent him out in the wilderness. The wilderness? Really? You have this spiritual experience, this high, and Jesus sends you out, or the Spirit sends you out in the wilderness? Notice the word sent. It can also be translated thrust or compelled here in, in Mark's gospel. Matthew and Luke used the word led. The truth is, it was the Spirit of God that led Jesus into the wilderness. How many of you know that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit? You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and led into the wilderness. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be led by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will lead us into the wilderness. And the wilderness represents a place of barrenness. It represents a, a, a desert, a place of lack. In fact, Mark 1.13 says this, And he was in the wilderness, speaking of Jesus, 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. That doesn't sound safe. Come on, Spirit of God, you're supposed to lead us into the safety, right? You're supposed to lead us into the power. You're supposed to lead us into the mountain. You're supposed to lead us into the place where we encounter and feel your presence. But instead, the Spirit of God led, drove, thrust Jesus into the place of the wilderness. And it was at the place of the wilderness that Jesus was experiencing what it meant to be human. Experiencing hunger in his life. Experiencing a place of weakness in his life as his flesh was experiencing a denial. And at that point, in a battle with the enemy. The Spirit of God led him there. The Spirit of God led him into a place of dryness and barrenness. 
The wilderness is not a pleasant place to be. Yet this is the place where Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And we have a parallel of sorts. If you take a look at at what happened when Jesus led the Israelites out of Egypt, what happened? He he, he sends Moses, and and what is Moses? Moses comes, let my people go, raises a stab, and it seems like every other time God is displaying his power over and over and over again. And finally, finally Pharaoh gets sick, and he says, get these people out of here. Just go. Just let them go. And so they began to go. And which way does the Spirit of God in the pillar of the cloud by day and fire by night lead Lead the Israelites, leads them to the place of the Red Sea, right? And, and what happens? The enemy is pursuing them. And then what happens? The, the, he says to Moses, raise up your staff, right? And what happens? The waters of the Red Sea part. And the Israelites are, are walking through on dry ground, right? They're walking through on dry ground. When they get through, their enemies are pursuing. Moses turns around, staff in his hand, and God says, hold it up again, and the waters come back. Do you know the waters of the Red Sea are, are kind of a, a representation of baptism? Out of slavery and into freedom? Isn't that, isn't that what happens, symbolic of what salvation is all about? That we are set free from being slaves to sin and we are set free to new life? And, and, and the waters of the Red Sea, notice red, Red Sea, like the blood of Jesus, like the waters of baptism. And then what happens right after? What happens right after? They have a celebration, a time of celebration. Where, where does God lead them? Into where? The promised land? No, the wilderness. Into a place in which they begin to run out of water and they begin to run out of food and they begin to cry out and say, why? Where, Moses, why did you leave us out here? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Because that's what happens when we are led into a time of the wilderness. We begin to say, God, where are you? What happened? So what's the purpose? Why are they led into the, into the wilderness? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us why the Israelites were led into the wilderness. And I believe it's a key for us understanding the way of the wilderness today. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order, that, in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. There's a purpose to the wilderness. There's a purpose to the wilderness. It's a place of testing. It's a part of the plan of God. It's not a wrong turn. It's not a wrong turn. God will oftentimes lead us. The Holy Spirit will lead us, even as Holy Spirit-filled believers will lead us into a season of wilderness. Why? Because it is a season of testing, and it is a season in which we are, we are, what's in our hearts is revealed. In fact, think about it for a moment. Moses spent 40 years in Midian as a shepherd. Joseph spent years in Egypt, first as a slave and then as a prisoner. And then if you think about David, the one who was considered a man after God's own heart, God's own chosen one, that even though he was revealed that he would be the next king, he spent years in the wilderness fleeing for his life from Saul. Why do we think we should be exempt from wilderness trials? Right? You see, when you follow Jesus, you will find that there will be seasons in your life where you'll be led into the wilderness. And you find yourself in a place of testing, and you find yourself in a place of temptation and trial, and in a fight with the enemy of your soul. 
So let's look at Jesus' season in the wilderness as we begin to learn some lessons of the way of the wilderness today. First, in the way of the wilderness, you learn to trust God for your provision. You learn to trust God for your provision. Starting in Matthew, I want to switch over to Matthew's version of the story here. Uh, take on the story. Verse 2 says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This demonstrates Jesus' humanity, right? After fasting for 40 days, he was hungry. He was hungry. And it's a place of weakness. And how many know that Satan loves to target the place of our weakness? That's, that's not a new story. Satan loves to target. And he says, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God Jesus was hungry. What is wrong with turning stones into bread? I mean, in fact, if you take a look later in his life, when he had the opportunity, he had just a few loaves and some fishes, and he was able to feed 5,000. He was able to multiply the bread. He was able to multiply the fishes. He was able to do that kind of miracle. What is wrong with that? Well, notice how Jesus responds here. It is written. You see, the Jesus way was to let the word of God guide his decisions and not the voice of the enemy. Friends, in our lives, we've got to learn how to let the voice of God decide and make our decisions for us, not the voice of the enemy. We've got to learn how to obey the voice of the Lord. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, 3 and 4, this is the passage that Jesus quotes from. It was the passage, again, that was speaking about when the Israelites had come and were led into the wilderness and how God had provided for them. And it says this, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Look at this, your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not swell during these 40 years in the wilderness. Deuteronomy is the place where Moses is looking back and he's causing the Israelites to look back and think about what God had done for them. And one of the things that God did is when they were lacking food, when they had run out of food, God established and provided for them a miracle bread, a manna bread that they would receive each day. They could only gather enough for that day, not to store, not to hold on to or it would rot. And they had to learn how to trust God's provision every day. You see, the wilderness was a place to learn God's provision. It was a, it was a, a way to be able to lean on God for his provision each and every day. And that they would not be sustained simply by the physical bread that would be provided for them, but rather when they began to walk and understand and listen and trust the very word of God. Again, this was a reminder by God, set aside, that God is our provider. They were learning how to follow his, his voice and how to follow him daily. But what is this temptation? What does this temptation represent? I think the first temptation here that we see where, where the enemy of our soul, where Satan the devil says to him, just take these stones and, and make them bread. What is it? Sin is meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Hunger was a real need. It was a real need. 
Eating was a real need. Physically, Jesus was hungry. Turning stones into bread would have been a real need. The problem was that rather than obeying the voice of God by cutting short his fast and where the Spirit had led him, he would have been obeying the voice of the enemy. He would have been trying to meet a real need in an illegitimate way. A legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And friends, oftentimes the enemy targets our weakness and he says, you know what, you've got a need. And you know what, your need might be very real. And you need, you want that need met. And the enemy comes aside and says, here's how you meet that need. This is how you're going to ease that pain. This is how, this is how to do it. Right? I think that, that, that our weaknesses usually fall into one of two categories. One is, is past tense hurt and the other is present tense need. Past tense hurt. How many of you know when we've been impacted or hurt by somebody that we trust, somebody comes along and hurt us, hurts us, how many know that leaves a gap, that leads a hole, that leads something inside of us, and, and that, that's something that hurts, and we, we want that pain to go away. We, we want somehow for that pain to go away, and so, so what does the enemy do? Well, this will help. Just try this drug. Just try this relationship. Just try, just try this thing. Just, just do this. Just ease here. Just, just do this. That'll start to heal your past tense hurt. And oftentimes your hurt is, it's a very real need. You need healing. You need a touch. You need wholeness. But the temptation in the place of weakness and in the place of hurt with your past tense hurts is to try to find the healing and try to find the wholeness and the, and the mending that you need in an illegitimate way, a way that's only going to cause you more pain down the road. But also, temptation targets present tent needs. When you realize that you feel like, you know, my needs aren't getting met in my marriage. So maybe I should have a, maybe I should commit adultery, or maybe I should look at pornography, or something like that. The real present tense need that you have that is met through your marriage relationship, suddenly you want to go out and, and find a different way to meet that need. You see, this was the bait. The bait for Jesus was go ahead and meet your need. You have a present need. Everybody's hungry. You don't want to starve to death. But sin is meeting a a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. But the Jesus way is this. This is the Jesus way in the wilderness. The Jesus way is making decisions against yourself. Later in Matthew 16, 24, this is what Jesus told his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him, look at this, deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. I'm going to tell you that this is not the American way. The American way is to satisfy yourself. The American way is is that if you're not satisfied in your marriage, then go head out in a consumer relationship, not covenant, and go find somebody else that will meet your need. That's the American way. The American way is, if McDonald's doesn't get your order right, go to Wendy's or Arby's or get some Jesus chicken from Chick-fil-A. The the American way is to demand your rights. It's anything but deny yourself. The Jesus way is to deny yourself and to take up your cross and follow him. Friends, I think that we need to learn the Jesus way. To learn how to say, you know what, enemy? I'm not going to try. I have a legitimate need. But I'm going to look to Jesus, my Savior, to meet my need. I'm going to look to God and his word and his Holy Spirit to meet my need. I'm not going to take my need into my own hands and try to meet it in an illegitimate way. The second lesson that we learn from the way of the wilderness is to trust God for your protection. 
In Matthew chapter 4, 5 to 7, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Look how the enemy is now trying to use Scripture, right? He will command his angels concerning you. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's Psalm 91. But Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So, so again, here he is up at the highest point of the temple looking out. And what is he tempted to do? Go ahead and jump. Test the scripture. Test to see if God's provision is real. God said in Psalm 91 that you would have a secure place. He said that he would protect you. He would command his angels concerning you. And he would protect you. So go ahead and test that before you get out and try to do anything in your earthly ministry. You better go ahead and test God's protection and whether God's word is true. The temptation here is to try to prove yourself the wrong way for the wrong reason. And there are so many times where we are tempted to try to prove ourselves the wrong way for the wrong reason. And later on we see that, 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 that here it is, the cross. This was the same type of temptation, but Jesus had already battled with it here in the wilderness. And in Luke 23, 30, 36 and 37, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Save yourself. Come on, if you've got the power, prove it to us. Prove yourself to us. Here at the highest part of the temple, if Jesus would have jumped off and the angels would have come and they would have, they would have protected him, it would have revealed who he was and there would have been no need for anybody. They would have said, here he is, the Messiah. Let's go take Rome. Prove yourself for the wrong way and the wrong reason. Mark 15, 31 and 32, in the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Prove yourself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified him heaped insults at him. Prove yourself. Prove yourself. Show us who you are. Jesus teaches us instead to trust the Father for his protection for his security, to trust his word, to not put God to the test. The way of Jesus was not to challenge God's goodness and, and promise of security by insisting on a miracle. It was to trust God in his way and his timing, which is always perfect. The third lesson we learn in the way of the wilderness is to trust God's plan. Trust God for his plan. Trust him for his plan. It says this in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In order to understand this, you need to understand that, that later on, what Satan was offering him here, later on Jesus would receive by obedience, but his, but his obedience would be at a cost. Philippians 2, 8 to 11, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Look at that. 
Do you see? This is what Satan was offering him, but God had already promised it to him. It was his, but it would come through obedience, and it would come through death on a cross. It would come through humility. The honor would come through obedience. The tempter was offering Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world, but the problem is he was offering it without the pain of the cross, without the waiting, without the obedience. And the third temptation is simply this, instant gratification. Satan was offering Jesus a shortcut with less pain. But the consequences would have been disastrous. Disastrous for us. We would have been forever bound in our sin. Friends, here's what happens when you shortcut God's will, you shortcut God's way, and you shortchange yourself. When we're in the wilderness, we're always tempted to take the easy road and ease the pain. But the problem is we always end up with more pain. And that's the mistake that Moses made. Moses, here he was, called to be the deliverer. But rather than wait on God's way, he decided to take into his own hands and kill an Egyptian who was mistreating an Israelite slave. And he killed him and he buried him and he thought he could cover it up and he thought he could do it that way. And instead it led to 40 years of waiting in the wilderness until he was humbled enough to be able to be obedient and wait on God's timing. Friends, instant gratification is the temptation of the enemy, but it always shortcuts and shortchanges you in the process. The Jesus way is to follow God's plan and God's time. As we close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I want to circle back on something that was said, and it's very critical to the way of the wilderness. In Luke 4, 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, Before any of the tempt, if you are the Son of God, the foundation for each temptation was to get Jesus to question his relationship with his heavenly Father. That was the that's the foundation for temptation. In fact, in in his book Knowing God, J.I. Packer says this: the target of all temptation in our lives is this: do we trust that God is our Father and that He is well pleased with us? That God is our Father, that He is well pleased with. That is the target. That target is the strength of that relationship. Do we trust that we are fully loved as Jesus is loved? Do you trust that you're fully loved as Jesus is loved? Friends, this was the temptation way back, right in the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say? Getting us to question God's goodness, getting us to question God's love, getting us to question God's provision, getting us to question God's protection, getting us to question God's plan. The enemy and his temptation in the wilderness, when you face that trial, it will reveal in your heart, and what it's revealing is, is a trust. Do you trust that you are loved by your heavenly Father? Do you trust that your heavenly Father will provide for you? Do you trust that your heavenly Father will protect you? Do you trust that he's got your best interest in mind and that he's got a plan? Friends, the enemy loves to whisper, and particularly in our weaknesses, and he's trying to get us to question our relationship with our heavenly Father. He's trying to get us to question the love of God, the love of our Father. And because we're always looking, there's something inside that is longing. And we need to get in the very presence of God like Jesus did, where he learned regularly to pull back. Learn to take time to pull back, to get into a quiet place where he could get in and hear the voice of his heavenly Father once again. The enemy is going to attack your identity We sang earlier, I'm no longer 
a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. You see, those things can't exist when you know that you're a child of God, when you know you're in the hands and the love and the arms of your Father, when you trust Him and you understand your position as a child of God. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. See, friends, God loves you and He'll provide for you. The Jesus way is learning how to wait on God rather than seek instant gratification. It's denying yourself and allowing God to meet your needs. And so today, I want to ask you, are you in the wilderness? If you're watching online, are you in the wilderness? Are you struggling today? If you're here, are you struggling to trust God for his provision? Are you struggling to trust God for his protection? Are you wrestling with whether God has a plan or not as you are in the midst of the furnace of the trial? You see, the enemy will always try to get you to question God's love. But friends, I want us today to take some time. Before we leave, before we close this service, take some time and begin to draw near to the presence of the Lord and say, God, I need to trust you again. I need to hear your voice again. Speak to my heart and let me hear from you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.